Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me on the podcast this week, the original guest of this podcast way back, uh, you know, about last March was uh, Blake Murphy of The Athletic. Blake, what's going on, man? What's up? I just turned my little desk. I, I was wondering why I looked so dark and like I was uh, in that bunker that Grange is always in for the media availabilities where it looks like he's ice fishing and eating beans over a fire. And then I realized I didn't have my light turned on. So much nicer now. How are you, man? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. I mean, look, I got to go to the dentist later today, so I'm not Ooh. feeling great overall. But, uh, you know, the Raptors are doing stuff, I guess. We have daily availability. Uh, let's actually start with this off the top because I feel like this is just my sense earlier in the season. I feel like the team is a lot less like interesting to talk to this year. I don't know if that's the sense you're getting. I think obviously losing Serge and like Mark uh, are some very interesting characters. Even Rondé was a very good interview, I thought. Um, at least created a lot of moments. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get a lot of moments from this crew. That's my early sense. Yeah, it's tough. And like even a guy like Malcolm is like a tough loss as a quote because mm-hmm. – he was always available because he's a nice guy and no one else would ever talk to him. Um, but this yeah, such a weird you. Meme. Like, you look at the, you look at the top of this roster. It's like, okay, Pascal, I, I will say Pascal's um, first availability this season oh. was awesome. That's mm-hmm. the most open and vulnerable I've ever heard him talk. And like in recent years, he's like kind of slowly gone downhill as an interview. But if that's a, an indication of where he's going to be, um, he was super thoughtful and open in that one. Fred's obviously great, but I think mm-hmm. sometimes we run into, you know, the everyone leans on Fred a little too much, like kind of like how they did for Danny. Yep. Um, yep. But then you look at like the next couple guys and like Kyle hates us all. Uh, Norm is very boring. Um, you know, like OG's trying. Hey, he gave us a 12 minute interview. And yeah. he, he answered your questions about PlayStation ads. So. Yeah, like okay. Matt Thomas is getting better, but also if he's not in the top, if he doesn't end up cracking the top eight or top nine of the rotation, like, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm thinking selfishly and like, they don't have, they don't have many like people who are an insightful quote and don't mind talking to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the people who don't mind talking to us are just like, you know, I don't know how many times I'm going to write about Aaron Baines this year, but like he might now be the best quote on the team other than Fred. So yeah, I got to say, Airbates is immensely likable, um, you know, and... I trimmed my beard before this, just just to avoid the jokes. <laughs> just to distinguish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's this is the crew we got. Look, I, honestly, I wish Stanley Johnson was just, like, a lot better as a basketball player. Um, yeah. Because he's actually really interesting to talk to. It's just, he's never available to talk, because I don't know if anyone necessarily wants to hear from him. But, uh, look, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens this year, man. Yeah, it's, I don't know, man. DeAndre Bembry's actually good, too. Like, I, I okay. think he's a, an interesting guy. Like, there are obviously interesting stories here. It just, you know, I, I think part of it, too, is, like, we only really know, like, six or seven guys who are going to be in the rotation for sure. Mm-hmm. And they've been here a couple years. So, like, some of the, like, I don't know that we expected Rondé to be a helpful 
quote last year or a helpful part of the media cycle, stuff like that. Um, So things could change, you know, Um, maybe someone steps into a bigger role, you know, maybe Chris Boucher is a, is a good quote now or something. I don't know. This is, maybe he's a a fantastic quote in French. Yeah. This is all selfish though. Like the one thing, and and Alex Wong and I talked about this a little bit is uh, I think there's a, there's a risk of, this isn't uh, media related and quote related, but you know, there were lots of jokes last year about Boucher and how many Instagram stories he shared after a big game or after a big highlight. Uh, DeAndre Bembry is maybe even more prolific sharing Instagram stories. And Alex Len also does it a lot. So um, we are potentially running into the most annoying Instagram team. Um, you know, obviously I have time for all the guys and their, their brands and stuff like that. But uh, the sharing that many Instagram stories is... That's tough for a whole roster. All right. Well, that, that's good to know because I, I plan to be making DeAndre Bembry deflection highlight reels. Um, nice. Yeah. Anyway, hands, so. Hands everywhere, man. This, yeah, exactly. this team is going to be, the Raptors are going to be so annoying with Lowry and Baines drawing charges and then how many guys, like Fred and Bembry, the way they get their hands on everything. Um, and then like Alex Len filling the surge role of just fighting people all the time. Hmm. I could see the Raptors being a little annoying to play against. Yeah, I, I do. I, I really do appreciate that Alex Lund has a fighting highlight reel. That's when you know you really made it as a NBA fighter is when you can just easily look up all your interactions at once. Yeah, I mean, through. look, he was wearing the, the belt that they give out in training camp the other day. Yeah. And if he wasn't wearing a Raptors jersey, you wouldn't have been entirely sure if, you know, we were looking at a basketball player or a pro wrestler. Yeah, which, by the way, I mean, you know, congratulations to uh, Alex Lynn and uh, Paul Watson for winning the belts. I, I just yep. thought that that was not necessarily the greatest sign. <laughs> eh. But you never know, man. You never know what drills there were. You never know who every, – every, every, everybody can have a nice day. Yeah. Are, are you suggesting that the time Lorenzo Brown won it for one-on-one battles uh, was not indicative of his season to come? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, sometimes it looks weird. Sometimes it looks like you're congratulating Shelvin Mack for leading the league in the, or the Magic and assists at 3.9. Huh? <laughs> That's also. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, we're here. Whatever, three- man, it's fun. It's it's. Uh, I'm sure it helps make the practices a little more competitive or whatever. Yeah, you know you're getting that that Instagram clout after. So, Do we know who's handing out the belts now that Nate Bjorgren has gone to uh, lead up the Indiana Pacers? Yeah, I don't know. Um, my guess would be JAMA. That seems like a JAMA thing. Yeah, okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Um, let's preview the 2020-2021 Raptors uh, season. My idea was kind of just go through a player-by-player and sort of talk about what would be a successful season for them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so let's let's start at the very top. Kyle Lowry. Um, I, I guess my first question is how much longer can he be fantastic? Because I, I always feel like I'm bracing for Kyle to sort of tail off. It just never has happened, especially last season where he kind of looked like he was better than the previous three seasons. Yeah, and he's a guy where, like, I do wonder if the cadence of these last couple months or, say, these last nine months is maybe not the worst for him where, like, he's had kind of – like, yes, this is a quick turnaround. And, yes, he's going to be 35 around midseason – but he's also had like multiple breaks in the last little bit. And I wonder if, you know, I could see like a development guy, you know, three months off and then playing in a short burst and then two months off, not being the best for kind of linear progression. But Mm -hmm. for Lowry, I do wonder if that's, 
you know, if that kind of suits where he's at, um, you know, I certainly think it would have helped like a Mark Gasol type uh, if it weren't for the the hamstring injuries around there. So um, I wonder if that helps him a little bit, you know, statistically, the big thing is Lowry has declined as a kind of shooter against contests. And, and mm. that includes on his three point shot. Like it's, it's been back to back years where he's just kind of an average three point shooter, but Last year, he ratcheted up the driving a little bit, um, which was something the Raptors uh, offense lacked. Um, You know, obviously, he's always such a strong driver of team performance on both ends of the floor, whether that's with his off-ball gravity or, or, you know, like he's going to make Alex Len and Aaron Baines look like a million bucks. Um, He's probably going to make Chris Boucher. Like, like he's going to earn his centers some money. That always happens. Uh, So, yeah, I mean it's tough because there's almost no precedent, right? Like when you look at small point guards and I did this during the first hiatus, I was like, okay, I I tried to quantify this and like, see, and it's like, okay, Chris Paul's a little older and has maintained the same level. And then like John Stockton was good till he was like 60. Uh, And then otherwise, like the closest comparable is like maybe Chauncey Billups. uh, But like Chauncey had that Achilles injury around 35 too. Right. So yeah. We can't even really like Kyle and Chauncey have like a similar progression and then Chauncey's decline comes because of kind of a catastrophic injury for a player that age, not because he just stopped being useful. So I don't really know, man, like with this quick turnaround and how good he looked in the, in the launch, I don't want to spoil, uh, I don't want to spoil uh, what my bold predictions column for the the year is going to look like. But I'm running it back, man. Seven-time All-Star Kyle Lowry. He should already be a seven-time All-Star if it wasn't for seven-time All-Star yeah. Joe Johnson. But uh, yeah, take that, Joe Johnson. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I I think Lowry has one more year in him at that level, and like most of the metrics agree with that and saw him as that level of player uh, last year. And I think you know, obviously, it doesn't sound like there's going to be an actual All-Star game this year, but I'd imagine they still name a mid-season All-Star team. Um, because yeah, like yeah. those things are important for guys hall of fame cases and contracts and stuff uh so yeah that's the that's the bold prediction here kyle, seven time all-star kyle lowry yeah i mean and then um, he's gonna win a big three mvp like joe johnson after or whatever oh i mean kyle lowry it's a, here's the thing I, I feel like kyle's already like adapted his game so much for what he needs to do when he loses more and more of his athleticism and i think he's taking better care of his like health and fitness I know everyone gets on Kyle about like you know oh, he's he's thick or whatever. Like I mean, Kyle is like as well built as anybody on the team. Um, his, it, his, so is this is this episode going up today? Like on Wednesday? Uh, yeah. Okay, so tonight uh, the first two parts of that Open Gym documentary are airing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've seen the first two parts already, and there is a scene in the bubble, and I don't want to get like I hate talking like a objectifying terms about players Mm. but there's one scene where kyle is giving shit to everyone on the team in the bubble and he's like drenched and his like he's not thick chubby he is now like officially like a jacked dude yeah yeah, Uh, yeah. and his arms just look huge so um you know i i agree with you though like his game you know houston rockets kyle lowry maybe you're like okay he needs that three because like some of his driving is burst to the rim and stuff but it's like he, it's it's almost like him being forced to tailor his game around Demar and then around Kawhi and then around Pascal. Like 
he's just so adept at tweaking his game to what others around him need that I think he'll just be able to do it, you know, if that athleticism or skill decline comes at any point. And like, it helps that he's the smartest guy on the floor pretty much all times too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for Kyle, two things are important. I think one, uh, the ability to, to just maintain his legs and to be able to hit that three is going to be huge. Cause as you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's for every small guard, you're going to hit the three at an elite rate. Um, and some of that is slipping, although I don't see any less uh, respect from the defense in terms of how he can shoot. Uh, and then the other thing I need from Kyle is I think that variability in his game where he can sort of take it up to the next level for specific performances. Um, I think that's hugely important. And, and I think if you saw Kyle in the playoffs last year, in that Celtics series, it wasn't like he was like um, hugely efficient or anything like that. He ended up shooting 43%, 30.6% from three. I mean, it's, it's fine. Right. It, but uh, what Kyle gave you was those two games, especially in game three and in game six, where he was just like next level good. And I think obviously that depends on other guys on your team stepping up. And maybe the Raptors didn't fully get that in the Celtics series, but um if he's capable of one or two, like two or three of those performances per series, then I think the Raptors can still be quite successful. Um, in, in any case, I think he's gotten so good at playing the regular season that it, it won't matter as much. But I, honestly, as you know, barring any injuries, I think Kyle's going to be quite good. Um, Sorry, really- just one more thing on the on the shooting. I just I brought up his shooting splits because I was just curious about it and like. One of the things, I guess, to keep in mind is like, yeah, he's only been a 35% three-point shooter the last two years, but he almost never, like almost all of those are above the break, which Mm -hmm. are tougher. And if you're a point guard, they're a little more important. And then last year, he actually saw a big drop in the percentage of those that were assisted. So like around Mm -hmm. Kawhi, you know, almost 75% of his threes were assisted. And then last year that was down to like 54%. So like, there's a difference between shooting 35% on open catch and shoot corner threes and being able to shoot 35% on a heavy diet of above the break and pull up threes. Um, You know, not all threes are created equally in terms of difficulty or how they bend a defense. And I think, you know, that's a, that's obviously an important thing. You'd still like the three point percentage higher than 35%, but that's uh, about as tough a diet of threes as you get in the non Steph Curry, non Dame division. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other questions I have for Kyle are kind of depressing. Um, I mean, I, I would say, okay, so this is the last year of his current contract. Uh, is What would you say the odds are that he gets moved midseason? Or sort of what kind of circumstances could you foresee where the Raptors try to move Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a little lower on a Lowry trade than a lot of other people. And it's, I mean, there's an element of that of like, I think he's important to the culture. I think Mm -hmm. there is a leadership effect on how, you know, a guy like Malachi Flynn might develop under Lowry's stewardship and stuff. And and even just like, you know, the way he helps Siakam and Van Vliet and those guys. Um, But more like practically, even if you decided, like, even if, if Lowry you know, said, Hey, I'd like to be moved to a contender. Um, You know, first of all, I think that is one condition of trading him is like, he would have to be on board with it. Like you just, hundred percent. I just think it, especially after the DeMar thing, like, yes, that paid off with the championship, but you got to be a little careful here. You have to make sure he's okay with it. Um, And then like in practical terms, it's very tough to move a point guard who makes $30 million Uh, to a contender and not take back bad salary. And I think that that would be in any scenario, the Raptors just, they like, they've been very clear. They're not adding 2021 salary. Mm -hmm. So unless 
Giannis signs the Supermax and they decide to extend OG now instead of waiting for restricted free agency. Like, I don't see a scenario where they're taking on 2021 money. And then it gets pretty hard to make a trade for Lowry to a good team he'd be okay with going to, to make the math work, taking back like $23, $24 million, none of that money being 2021 and getting enough assets back to make it worthwhile. Um, Like, yeah, if a Drew Holiday trade where you're getting a bunch of firsts and a bunch of pick swaps materializes, you have to think long and hard about that because, you know, say the Raptors get Giannis, you know, it's tough to work Lowry back into the fold with the room exception or or like a really quick um, re-up and he's not extension eligible. So you do have to consider those things and those are tough decisions. Um, But it's hard to find a trade partner that checks all those boxes. And I don't think the Raptors are going to move him for like dead salary in a second. Like, I think if you're going to give up the most important player, in your franchise over the last decade, you better be getting assets that like really move the needle for your next contention window. So, um, you know, I would put the odds pretty low cause I just don't see all those things lining up. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, in any event of a Kyle Lowry move or anything like that, or even just a split, I think Masai was asked about it in his uh, preseason press conference. Someone asked him outright, Hey, can you just sign Kyle Lowry for life or something like that? And Masai was, he did not say that, of course. Um, but what he did say was he's going to be very, very respectful of Kyle. And, you know, he's, he said Kyle has treated the organization fantastically um, and that the, the organization will reciprocate, which I think is important, A, just because, I mean, that's just absolutely true. Kyle deserves that respect. Uh, but also, B, I think, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the Mark thing, um, you don't just don't want to build a reputation for that. There is a real chance that Kyle walks next summer. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and if, is that detrimental if Kyle walks for nothing? I mean, like, there's going to have to be context there, right? Like, is he is he walking because the Raptors struck out on Giannis and didn't have a good plan B? Is he walking because, you know, the Raptors had to renounce his rights to clear max space and he took that personally? Like, there's a lot of context there. Now, I think, yeah, there's a disaster scenario where – everything kind of goes the wrong way and you don't get a marquee free agent and Kyle walks and like the way you've had to handle Kyle kind of upsets him. And, you know, the, that relationship that's been so important doesn't end as amicably. Um, but I don't, I don't know, man, that's a lot of stuff going wrong at once. So yeah. I, I don't, I like, I think everyone would understand if 35 year old Kyle Lowry next summer, if the Raptors don't land, Giannis or don't look like they're going to be a title contender you know him going somewhere else to chase another ring like I think everyone will understand they just went through it with Kawhi and then with Gasol and Ibaka um I think people get it but yeah if it if it goes the other way where it's a disaster offseason and Kyle's pissed on the way out then that's uh that could set you back a little bit in terms of like the kind of organizational equity they've built up in this era yeah um by the way, if Giannis does hit for agency, I, I hope he doesn't take too long with it because I think the timing is going to matter next offseason. If Giannis waits like a week to field all offers, is that going to hold up the entire market? Someone like Kyle would very likely be caught up in that. So uh, we will see yeah. what happens. But uh, for now, we have Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is awesome. And uh, we both anticipate him being awesome uh, this upcoming season. Okay, Pascal Siakam. Um, before Pascal, I mean – what does he need to show, I guess, in the regular season to sort of convince people to overcome playoff doubts? Because I think the playoff thing, I, even 
it's been really interesting to watch that because it's like people forgot entirely that Pascal was like a pivotal piece of the championship two years ago. Yeah. And that yeah, like he was the number two scorer on a championship team and was hanging 20 pieces on Draymond. Like, yeah, I mean, look, listen, I mean, he's he's but he's definitely a fraud now, apparently. Um, but I, yeah. I just I it, mean, it, look, he had a bad playoffs. He put up worse numbers than the year prior in a much larger role. It's mm-hmm. it wasn't good. But like he, he lets me like the thing that I ran into, too, is like we spent the whole year talking about how the Raptors defense was designed to shut down stars and like, Oh my God, look at like, they're holding LeBron low. They're holding Harden low. And then Boston did that to Siakam and everyone was like, well, Siakam's a fraud. (laughs) It's like, okay, but it can, you know, the defense has an impact too. And I don't think like, I thought his decision-making eroded. I thought his confidence eroded in that series. I don't mean this to like wave my hand at, at, you know, take all blame off Siakam. And he would tell you that he put a lot of that blame on his own shoulders um, but I do think that like, you know, he ran into one of the best defenses in the league and they were really ready for him mm-hmm. and they had a lot of guys they could throw at him. And, and once he kind of got in his own head or, you know, to hear him tell it, he wasn't enjoying it or whatever, that stuff can spiral quick, especially when like, you know, I think even something small, like you don't have that extra day off between any of the games in a series, like where maybe you don't practice and you just take a clear your head day and you, you know, you go to cactus club or wherever these guys go. I don't know, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I think like, like I didn't even think he had, like, I thought his first half of the season was better than his second half of the season. And he still put up like 23, seven and four. Yeah. Like, and, and had average efficiency for a guy at that level of usage. So you do kind of have to zoom out a little bit and go back. Like, like I know people get in the trap of thinking development is linear sometimes. And it's not obviously a a lot of guys and and Siakam included have to take a step back sometimes before they figure out how to go forward. But you saw that even like within his season. And and I don't think it was realistic for him to stay in that, you know, around that 30, 60 club of 30% usage, 60% true shooting that like, Harden and Steph Curry and KD occupy and that's pretty much it that's where Pascal was like a month into the season mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I don't know man in terms of in terms of what he does this year like I I think statistically like it wouldn't even be that bad to to run back the season he had like I would love to see him improve as a playmaker and that assist rate come up a little bit um but most of what I'm looking for with Siakam isn't like he was all NBA second team like that's I didn't think he should I thought I would have had him on my third team but like mm-hmm. The player he was last year in the season was really good and really useful. So what I'm looking for from him is a lot of qualitative stuff. And it's, you know, I guess you can quantify some of this stuff. Like I want to see his, the percentage of shots he's taking near the rim and the amount he's getting to the free throw line come up. And I want to see that because I think those indicate maybe an improvement in anticipating how the defense is going to guard you or um, maintaining your level of aggression when, you know, the first couple bunnies don't drop or something like that. And and I don't want to get too much in the psychological aspect of it, but I think where Siakam has been so successful is that nose for the rim and the free throws that follow that. And I think he got away from that a little bit last year. So um, that's, that's the big thing I'm looking at. You know, I think the three point shot is, is legitimate. I want to see him improve as a playmaker, but I think a lot of that is, um, you know, I wrote today, I kind of went through Chris Finch's offense in his last couple stops and how he used uh, his bigs dynamically or James Harden dynamically um, because those guys 
draw attention. And I thought the Raptors were a little limited in terms of like, okay, what are you running around a Siakam isolation? What are you running around a Siakam post up? Um, even like, like get Siakam's pick and roll volume up. You have two point guards who are really good flipping either side of the pick and roll. You know, OG looked like an emerging screener. Baines is pretty good in the dribble handoff game. So you have these dynamic ways to get Siakam involved to either get him attacking an advantage or to turn him into a playmaker where if they send two to the ball as he comes around a screen, you know, there's a window there for Lowry to slip out for a three or Van Bleet to slip out for a three or, you know, you get Lowry in some of those screen the screener actions where he, where he ends up wide open at the top of the key. And this is like, you don't need to overhaul the offense to do this. And, and I don't, obviously Nick nurse is a very creative coach. Um, but I think that that's the next step for the team as a whole is like, if Siakam's going to get, 28% usage and defenses are going to pay him that kind of attention. You know, you kind of have to reshape what things look like around him because last year was a little too predictable and a little too static. Yeah. And I think you kind of saw that a little bit in the Celtics series. Obviously that's a matchup thing. That's a defense forcing you to go into ice on something like that, but it seemed like the Raptors didn't have that many ideas as to how to get Pascal involved. And some of that's on Pascal too, to be effective in multiple scenarios. But I think over the course of the regular season, I would love that. I mean, I think we all know that he has the back. He has the back to the basket game. I think he can definitely exploit a mismatch for sure. Even even just like like size advantage or anything like that. I think he can attack those. But um, expanding his pick and roll game absolutely. Um, and you know, the, the playmaking and stuff like that. I, I think not all of that is on him, right? I mean, like, look, you can post up and pass out of the post as much as you want, but. That's not entirely dependent on what you're doing with that pass. It's it's a lot about how people are moving off the ball. What are those reads? How defenses come to you and stuff like that. So, I, I look, I'm I'm anticipating a lot of marginal improvements with Pascal. It's just very weird to me that like we went through this whole experience with DeMar Rosen, where he like went through playoff struggles and people just kind of like bought in immediately the next season because he said F Sports Illustrated or F ESPN. Yeah. Um, no, no, F the athletic yet. By the way, uh, athletic has really uh, escaped the uh, the Marta Rosen hate. Yeah, he doesn't have a subscription, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say NBA players can afford a lot; they just can't afford a dollar. Yeah, a month. I mean Giannis is out there begging on the timeline for for a discount. So. Wow, you can't blame him when uh, his his teammates bought him pens for his birthday, man. Yo, Chris Middleton, yeah. man, this guy I'm... really gave you thirty million dollars a year, and you bought him a pen for his birthday. I was that's disgusting. <laughs> uh, I am. Uh... I'm not going to put anyone on blast by name, but I have definitely had players ask me to copy and paste athletic articles into emails for them before because they don't have a subscription. Uh, Why, yeah. man? So. Did you tell them it's a dollar a month? Did you tell them, you know, tell them yeah. to use your promo code, man? <laughs> yeah, well, that's not the, the promo right now is uh, you could buy one gift one. There you go. So you there get, you it's two for one, basically. The, the dollar a month is over, but... There's always this is the secret about the athletic is there's always some sort of flash sale or something. You know, like if you DM me like 95% of the time, I have some way to get you a discounted subscription. So. Yeah, look, if you're paying full price, it's um, it, it's worth it for sure. But uh, you can get around it if you really want to. No, listen, I, I'm waiting for the day where instead of NBA players like John Wall handing their teammates uh, Rolex and some of that because they're the lead player on the team making the max. Like I'm waiting for the day where the lead player like Pascal is handing out ESPN and uh, athletic subscription <laughs> passes to the rest okay. of his teammates as gifts. Just like read the slanderous thing they're saying about you. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we talked about Pascal a ton on this podcast. Uh, it's kind of the same conversation. At this point, we kind of just need to see him do it and stuff like that. I'm very interested in chronicling it. I'm just personally willing to give him a lot more rope than it feels like what a lot of other people are giving him. I'm just not ready to put on him after one playoff series, man, especially one that's like very unique. So, and, and of course, that was his first time around. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just saying realistically, like, no, it, what are you going to do? Like, we have to be, we have to be realistic about this, right? Like, like this is the other thing too, is like, they gave him that max extension that kicks in this year. Mm-hmm. Like the bet was not that last year Siakam would be a max level guy. It would be that by this time he would be. And like, you know, maybe he's not like may I think his 2019, 2020 profiles is like a $25 million guy instead of the 30 to 35 he's going to earn over the life of this deal. And that's the toughest jump to say to take. But like you said, you look at all these potential marginal improvements, like, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to go back to like just getting to the rim is the only thing, but like his average shot distance was four feet further away last year than it was the previous two years. And like, yeah, some of that is the defense forcing that on you. And you and I talked a lot heading into last year about how that, that mid range game was the next weapon Siakam had to develop because like, you just need those counters to a defense trying to wall you off. And, And that didn't really come along that great. But, you know, the mid-range comes along a little bit. He gets back to the rim just a little bit more. He gets to the free throw line just a little bit more. Um, He's just a little bit better of a playmaker. You make all these marginal gains and, um, you know, as long as you're not predictable come playoff time, like you should be a little better. Now, look, I don't, would I be very curious to see how he'd look against a Celtics or level team in a playoff series again? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like he could put up 25, eight and five in the regular season. And there are going to be people who are like, okay, prove it in the playoffs. And I think that that's fine too. Um, And that's, what's so fascinating about like player development, especially a guy who's taken so many leaps like this. It's like, it's like, no, you can't project him to keep taking leaps, but you also can't really doubt that he's going to find ways to improve. He's like, he's a entirely a unique development case so like it's fascinating it's one of the most fun things to cover about this team the last couple years and probably for this year is like like there aren't a lot of guys short of Giannis and maybe like early career Steph who have been tasked with this kind of stuff and who have like succeeded with it like okay I guess Oladipo for a little bit before injuries derailed them but like there just aren't a lot of examples of of guys like this so we don't know what to expect and it's it's a lot of fun it absolutely is a lot of fun. It, it, love- it'll be more fun if he succeeds. Uh, it sure, always but- is. But, I mean, again, we just can't ignore the fact that he already did succeed once, man. I understand he wasn't the number one option, but, like, damn, people, like, come on. So, um, I'm willing to give Pascal a lot of more chances. And, um, honestly, what what else are you really going to do as a Raptor fan, man? Do you sign to a, a max contract? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's not like you can turn time, the other man. way from it right now. What do you do, trade him for Harden? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm against that, by the way. Uh, just uh, on principle. Um, uh, Fred. Okay, so Fred, I, you know I'm very happy for him. The contract, I think it was uh, a good contract for both sides. I think you know both sides accomplished what they mostly wanted to do. Um, I, maybe my only question with Fred is just like, do you, do you see a path for him to get to the All Star team? Because I, I feel like he's almost on. He's like kind of on the fringe. Maybe realistically, the Raptors won't have three All Stars. But is there something that maybe he could do? Outside of, you know, maybe let's say Kyle leaves the team next offseason and Fred is the number two guy and the Raptors are so successful. Um, is, is there some path? Yeah, I mean, look, unfortunately, the the answer is that 
the way all-star teams get determined, like he's probably got to get the numbers up and that, that might not mean he's a better player. Like that might just mean that Kyle's playing a little bit less or, um, you know, he's shooting a little bit more like that might not signal improvement, but you know, he put up 18, four and six and a half last year. That's not an all-star line, but it's not that far off. If you got that up to like 20 points, eight assists, you know, that that's an extra bucket and an extra assist or two a game. Like that's not that unrealistic for a guy in his fifth season. Now I would argue that I would like for his minutes to come down from 36 a game, just given the wear and tear he sometimes had. Um, yeah. And the fact that they have three point guards again, like I just don't see the need for, for Lowry and Van Bleet to be playing 36 minutes. If Malachi Flynn is like any kind of useful mm-hmm. um, anyway, bigger, like in terms of like Wilfred profile as like an all-star caliber player. So like a top 30 player, you know, he's already got the defensive side. Obviously I think he's a borderline all defensive guard and he's very important to the Raptors strategy. Um, the big thing with him and it's not, it's not unlike Siakam, but it's maybe more challenging for him is like, he's got to improve as a finisher because Mm. over the last three years, he's been a bottom 10 finisher. He doesn't have that floater package yet at any kind of volume. Um, You know, like, and and I'm not exaggerating, like he's been a bottom 10 percentage finisher at the rim in three consecutive years. And that's okay. If you're, if you fall into kind of like, like if he were basically to fall into a three and D shooting guard alongside Kyle, like that's okay. That's a valuable player still. But if we're projecting him to take on more of the league guard duties and for Lowry to get off ball a little bit more, and then projecting Van Vliet ahead over the life of his contract, he's got to be more of a threat on the drive and to score out of pick and roll. Um, both because, you know, like I posted a, a table in a recent article that I did with Seth Partnow of like, here are the worst finishers over the last couple of years. And Fred is an outlier as a guy who's still been reasonably efficient overall without that. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, that's great because he's able to shoot threes at such a high volume and such a good clip, but also like it shows you how precarious that is as a lead guard. Like there aren't guys on that list who take on above average usage and do it with any level of efficiency. Like you just have to be a threat at the rim if you're going to have your ball, the ball in your hands that much. And I think that that opens up, you know, sometimes Fred's guilty of, of dribbling the air out of the ball a little bit or needing a reset and pick and roll. Um, and, you know, his field goal percentage is artificially low because he takes a high share of late clock shots, but also like the late clock happens in part because sometimes he doesn't run the offense as smoothly as Lowry maybe does. Um, so I think that threat of, of, that ability to pressure the rim will open up a little more his pick and roll passing. It'll open up a little bit more the pull-up threat. Um, Cause right now I think like, like Fred's an obvious over in pick and roll. And like, you don't really have to worry about the rim protection. Like he's just, he's just not that threatening in pick and roll in terms of like, you know, like having to send a third guy in or, or having to change your scheme or whatever. Like he's, He's a good, not elite pick and roll passer and he can pull up, but he's not really a threat to, to head to the rim. And I think that that opens up becoming even passable at that opens up a lot more for him as a passer and a pull up shooter. So, you know, it's tough because there's not a great track record of guys who are small and not great finishers um, suddenly improving in that area. Uh, Kyle Lowry did it in his fifth season. So, you know, may, maybe, maybe it's mm-hmm. there, but that's the big thing. Sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here, but um it's just like it's kind of a team-wide thing where like 
Powell and Siakam were the only guys on the roster who really pressured the rim last year. And you can have a lot of good things about your offense, but if you're not, if the, if the defense isn't bending to keep you away from the rim, it's hard to open up a lot of the easier stuff that you can create as an offense. So um, that's why I'm looking at that for Siakam. That's why I'm looking at that for Van Vliet. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because tangibly, I don't really know how a smaller guard would improve at finishing at the basket just on his own, aside from developing like three or four more moves. Like, I mean, it's always easy to be like, oh, yeah, what if Fred just added like a Tony Parker floater to his game? I think, you know, oh, then he would definitely finish better. It's like, okay, all right, cool. Let's just just plug in this all-star Hall of Fame guards yeah. best attribute and put it on this player. You know what? Let's not even go to Tony Parker. Let's give him Etwan Moore's floater game. (laughs) I I mean, is that too much to ask? (laughs) Especially Etwan Moore against the Raptors. (laughs) No, but like that is part of it, right? Is like you have to recognize as a player – if you have this track record of not being able to finish at the rim when you get there and you know, your size and and athleticism are such that you have to do a lot of that body in ball out kind of finishing Mm -hmm. um, where like you have to put just the right spin or just the right arc on it uh, to kiss glass and get it to drop. You know, you do need to to come up with that floater package and Fred hasn't really done that yet, but also, you know, maybe, maybe until last year, he hasn't had the ball in his hands enough to like really stress about it. Um, you know, he still only takes like 10 or 11% of his shots in that range. Um, so it's not a huge deal yet, but like between that and the rim, like it's got, it's just got to improve. You can't be a three point specialist, uh, even as an elite defender. And like, I guess it's just like, it's similar to what we talked about with Pascal. Like if he's going to return positive value on this deal, the player he is now, it's probably fair value, but if you're going to like get surplus out of it, that's where he's got to improve because it opens up a lot for him and the guys around him. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is, we, we always overlook this about Fred, but I mean, he's in his, he was just in his fourth season. I think he's yeah. consistently shown improvement. And even last year, he, he led the team in drives, which is surprising. He obviously passed out of those drives a lot more. He was one of the, the, the most pass first guards in terms of driving. He just drove a lot. Um, and he, you know, he did improve on things like drawing contact, which is important. To be honest, outside of developing that floater, which is really difficult, or like, I don't know, becoming Kyrie Irving with his finishing, which Fred does have a few like Kyrie-esque finishes, but it's it's not like Kyrie consistently, for sure. I mean, honestly, the thing that's most realistic I see for him is like, if he can just nail that mid-range shot to the point where it's so good that defenses start overreacting to it, that's what I see with Chris Paul. I, again, I'm just doing that thing again where it's just like, oh, let's just add this all-star trait to this player. Yeah. But well, I mean, like him Tony Parker's floater and Chris Paul's mid-range game, Fred Van Vliet's going to be the best point guard of all time because yeah, well, he's already one of the, you know, and, and let's just, we'll tick his three-point shooting up from very good to Steph Curry. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, yeah, he'll be, uh, I'm, Fred's going to be incredible this year. It'll be Steph Curry plus uh, Isaiah Thomas. You're like one of those clutch point memes right now of like <laughs> LeBron with Steph's shooting or, you know, which of these superstars would be better? I'm just saying the mid-range game. I could I could see it coming along a little bit more for Van Vliet. Yeah, and, and he surprisingly like very rarely uses it. Right, that's like what I'm saying like, like he's fewer really than ten percent of his yeah fewer than ten percent of his shots were in that ten foot uh, three point range last mm-hmm. year. So, well, he he does drive a lot trying to get other people's shots. Too. Yeah, which is so, great. That's an important thing to do and have. So yeah. Uh, anyway, well, uh, Fred's also going to be on the team a long time. So I, again, I'm looking forward to Fred and Pascal growing alongside each other. 
we have a lot more players and not that much time. So I'm going to just kind of cut it to one question per player. Uh, Norman Powell. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's, it's all good, man. Right? This is all well, always what happens when we talk. Um, yeah. Norman Powell. Also, I kind of think that like there will be it, – it's proportional, right? Like people oh, yeah, yeah. care more about the top guys than – yeah. But I got that. I got those Paul Watson notes ready, so we got to make oh. sure we get down to sixteen, seventeen on depth chart. Uh, definitely, man. Oh, he's not going to be sixteen right. or seventeen on the depth chart. That's for sure. Norm Powell. Um, <laughs> odds that he lasts through the season with Kyle, with the Raptors. Uh, this is this is unfortunate. I hate talking about it like this. Um, would you agree that if someone were to be traded, Norm is just by the virtue of his situation and maybe the depth at his position that he's probably the most likely? Yeah. Uh, this is like the the Patrick Patterson trade deadline where like he was the only mid-tier salary on the Raptors that year. So every trade framework had to involve Patrick Patterson. This was the year before they got P.J. Tucker. So 20, 2016. Oh, 2016. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So everyone wanted like Markeith Morris and stuff like that. And it's like, well, you pat in a pick for Markeith Morris. It's like, no, oh, but God, Pat yeah. is the only guy on the roster who doesn't make the minimum or the maximum. So, yeah. um, so Norm falls, Norm falls into that a little bit this year. You know, obviously if you're trying to aggregate salary, McCaw and Stanley Johnson around 4 million each are useful, but Norm at 11 million is a helpful chip to build trades from. So um, I also think he's a guy that like, he probably has a market just cause like, 11 million in the current environment for a guy who shoots close to 40% on threes and can be kind of a secondary attacker and is like, you know, sometimes hovers around average on defense. Like that guy, that guy gets more than $11 million on the open market right now. So um, I could see that, but mostly it's just, yeah, if you, if you want to take on any interesting player, they have salary and norms just going to make sense to match. So. Yeah. It, and it's unfortunate because I feel like it almost leads Powell to be a little underappreciated. I thought what he did last season was hugely important, especially in the regular season. Um, even in the yeah, next and it's like you go through you go through closing lineups and like it's hard to like Norm will be the worst defender in those closing lineups, but it's also hard to construct closing lineups that have enough offensive threat without him. Mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. like we've talked about, like his, his wing shooting and, you know, being one of the only guys on the roster that really pressures the rim attacking closeouts and in transition is like, like, it's not even just that that's a valuable skill overall. It's like, it's a skill set that is a little lacking on the Raptors, especially if you make some assumptions about Terrence Davis's availability, or you just like me, don't want to talk about Terrence Davis as part of the team. So, yeah. um, you know, like, I don't think, like Jalen Harris is a three-level scorer, but I don't know that he's a three-level NBA scorer this season. <laughs> so yeah. uh, Powell kind of, like, I think I think that's a guy where, yeah, he's going to be on the market and he makes sense in a lot of trades and you don't really fret it long-term. But if you take Norm off of this roster, like, it's really hard to construct second units that are going to be able to score without him. Yeah, and also the, the trades, I mean... I mean, if you aggregate Norm's salary, maybe it's a little bit more interesting. But, I mean, just trading Norm alone, I, I kind of compared it to Josh Richardson got traded at the draft. Same kind of – I mean, different kinds of players, but I would say roughly yeah. equivalent players. Maybe Josh is actually a little bit better. Um, but yeah. Yeah, And I mean, the exact same contract. The exact so. same contract. And it's obviously similar ages over that. And, yeah, I mean, what if you got Seth Curry in the 34th pick? Like, that's – I mean, if, if you want that for Norm, go ahead. But, I mean, I guess Seth Curry is also long-term money. 
and you're getting the 34th pick, which, you know, who knows? It's more interesting at the day of the draft when you can know who that player is than just like yeah. a random I, I guess the pick thing is, is like, play. if you view that whatever draft capital you cut, you get back as like an asset for you, like, you know, Norm is either off the books this summer or on the books at that salary. And either one is kind of problematic, right? Like it's like, like, I don't think if he hits free agency, I don't think he factors into the plans if they go after a top free agent. And if he opts in, then you might have, then, you know, you're trying to trade him with no leverage to clear it out. So I think, and and then you look at the draft asset, even a second, like that's something you could throw in a deal later. Right. Yeah. Um, It's It's just not that sexy as well. It's not sexy. And like the kind of names that you can match salary with, like you said, without aggregating, um, you know, the one name that I was looking at before the Raptors signed Baines and Len was like, would Dallas give you Maxi Kleber for Norman Powell? And like, that saves you a little bit, but he's on the books longer term too. And like, it doesn't make as much sense now that, um, you know, now that they have signed two centers anyway, but um, that's the kind of guy you're talking about in a salary swap for, for Norm probably. And I don't mean this to, to be negative about Maxi Kleber, who I think is like pretty underrated sure, uh, yeah. and, and helpful for Dallas. But like, those are the kind of guys in your range when you're sending out an 11 million salary. Now things get a lot more interesting when it's like a Norm McCaw Johnson package, which is like, that's going to be the <laughs> Raptors fans version of, of HBAP where it was like Humphreys Brooks and a pick. And that was the, oh. that was the trade every year for, for the Nets. Um, you know, every trade scenario was Humphreys Brooks and a pick. What could you get for it? What matches salary? That's going to be Norm Johnson and McCaw this year and like a future second or something like that. Yeah. That's uh definitely not that exciting of a return, but listen, I, I, you know, it's again. I just hate talking about this because I, I do feel like it kind of underappreciates what Powell brings to the roster. And you know, honestly, if you're telling me, look, you can get a future second round pick, or you can get Norm being very productive for the season, I probably much prefer Norm being productive for the season. Um, Aaron Baines. My my only question with Aaron Baines is like, what percentage of Mark's production can you replicate? I know so. So Mark, obviously, if you look at the raw numbers, we're not that we're not that great. If you look at the advanced statistics. Or was fantastic, even arguably better than Surge last season. Um, I'm I'm just looking at it tangibly. I think you know Baines stylistically is kind of like a discount mark. Doesn't have the passing, definitely not. But uh, to me, I feel like he can replicate a lot more of, of the other parts of Mark's game. And if he, for me, honestly, I'd be pretty happy if Baines can do, I don't know, eighty percent of what Mark did last year, plus a little bit more scoring. Which is probably yeah, asking uh, for first, a lot. First of all, happy birthday to Aaron Baines. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. 34 today. All right. Um, but yeah, I think... Slightly like, younger than Alex, but all right. Yeah. Uh, so the, the tough thing about the Baines-Gasol comparison, I guess the nice thing, first of all, is that um, Raptors fans' expectations for scoring out of the center position couldn't be lower now. Oh, yeah. Um, and hopefully people have started to understand how you can make an impact from that position without scoring a lot. Because I don't <laughs> think Baines is going to come in and put up 12 a game like he did in Phoenix. Like, he's just not going to get that level of opportunity. But I do think it's helpful that he showed on a three on a four three-pointer game sample last year that he could be a decent shooter. I would say in the regular season, honestly, like Baines could probably give you like 90% of what Mark did. And maybe that's a little high um, when you factor in the playmaking, but like he's a more willing shooter at a similar percentage. Um, he is, 
He has a greater impact on team level rebounding. He's like one of like by five year RAPM, he is the number one impact on team defensive rebounding over the last five years. That's declined a little bit in recent years, but it's still huge. He's got that Steven Adams ish, whatever the reason players from Oceana have uh, that they just help their teammates rebound instead of grabbing them themselves. He has that. And, and then like, he's not a high end shot blocker, but his he's similar to Mark in that like, you look at the frequency with which opponents can shoot at the rim when he's on the floor. And he does a really good job keeping opponents away from there. And that's a big part of like, that's where I think I'm most optimistic is how you'd want to play Baines in a defense is exactly how the Raptors used Gasol anyway. Um, yeah. And no, that level of quarterbacking isn't there. That level of, you know, that level of communication and, and probably like system IQ is going to take a little bit to build up. Um, but like stylistically, you want Baines's role in the offense and the defense to be pretty similar to, to Mark's. And while he's not nearly as good a passer as Mark is because no center other than Jokic is, the Raptors also just like, they didn't use Mark like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. anyway. Yeah. Like they didn't run a lot of Gasol at the elbow, Gasol in the post, Gasol dribble handoff. Like, I mean, he did do a lot of dribble handoff, but it was almost always for the handoff rather than on a keeper where he then becomes a playmaker. So I think you can drop Baines into a lot of it. Now, where my concern comes is, you know, I, I think the gap between playoff Baines and 2019 playoff Gasol is a lot larger than the gap between the regular season versions of themselves. Um, Gasol wasn't that guy by the time the Boston series came around last year, Mm -hmm. but I think in a playoff series is where that extra little bit of system knowledge, that extra little bit of playmaking threat, that extra little bit of, and I don't say this to mean Baines is a, not a high IQ player, but Marcus all is a fucking genius on both ends of the floor. I'm sorry to swear Yahoo. Uh, but and that's where you know I think that's a little more magnified in the playoffs if Baines hasn't come along in the system quite as well. So um, I don't think this is really that big a game to game drop off. I, I think the drop off from Abaka to the package of Len Boucher and small lineups might be a little more pronounced in the second unit. I, for my money, Gasol was still better than Abaka last year, but. Abaka's ability to soak up usage for that second unit and do so efficiently like that's going to be hard harder to replicate I think um than dropping Baines in a Gasol spot I just think I think it's really helpful that the Raptors don't have to change a lot about how they use their starting center and and like you're gonna have four holdovers in the starting lineup who immediately know how to play with Baines because you're not going to be using Baines a lot differently um again playoffs it's a bigger concern like like ceiling wise there's a difference, but I don't know that game to game, 20 minutes at a time in the regular season, you see that much of a drop off there. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably why they went out and got Bates. He honestly, stylistically, is quite similar to what Mark did. Um, yeah. I mean, also, he's maybe already number two on the team in terms of best interviews. I mean, that's just not true, actually. I mean, Kyle and Good is quite good. But yeah. uh, Aaron Page is really making his way up there, man. Um, yes, congrats to him on his birthday. Congrats to him on his uh, newborn uh, child. Um, gave a lot of credit to his wife, rightfully so. And, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, a lot more friendly Aaron Baines media availabilities. Um, the other guy, Chris Boucher, I mean, I guess I'll ask a similar question. What percentage, I guess, of Ibaka's production can he replicate? And what I guess even still, what are the odds that he replicates even 80% of what Sarge gave him last year? Because yeah. th- there is an element of Chris's game where he can 
scale up his production. And I think we've seen that over specific games. We've just never seen that consistently uh, at all. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with with Boucher stepping into that role is like, I know that people's idea of Boucher, what Boucher could be, is similar to that. But like the sneaky thing is he's not a good shooter. Yeah. Um, like he's at 32% on 156 attempts in his career. His G League numbers on a much higher sample uh, per game were not any better. He's almost never taken a mid-range shot. I just don't know that he's going to be able to replicate that. And now, can you tweak the second unit offense and use him differently? Absolutely. He'll be a more effective rim runner than Abaka was. Len can be a more effective rim runner than uh, Abaka was. Those guys are just more natural dive threats in pick and roll. Um, but yeah, that ability to step to the elbow or pop out for three, or even just like soak up a lot of possessions in, in a number of different ways, that, that's going to have to be piecemeal for these second units. And I, I don't think it's realistic to ask Boucher to, to kick. Like Serge had like a 22 or 23% usage rate. And I don't know yeah. that... You know, I'm sure Boucher's willing to take those shots, but unless that three-point shot has come along a lot, you know, Boucher's biggest assets are his ability to run the floor from the four-five position, um, his ability to hunt out putbacks, and the fact that because he's so kind of weird and chaotic, he gets to the line a ton. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that those are really useful things. But whereas Baines Gasol, you don't have to change a lot structurally. Len or Boucher are if they're focal points of your second unit offense, you're using them in different ways than you use the Baca. And that's okay. You can do that. Like if you are running a lot, like if, if Lowry is getting the quick hook in first and third quarters, so he can play more time with the bench in the second and fourth, you know, we've seen Lowry and bench enough that he's going to put those guys in positions to succeed. And as much as Abaka's pop threat is valuable, you know, a good rim run threat is valuable too, right? Like you, that has yeah. an impact on the defense in a different way. So um, I just think they have to play a little bit different. I, I think you might see, you know, I could see the second unit offense looking a little more bench mobbish where priority yeah. one, priority two, and priority three are all to get the ball and run like crazy in transition. And we saw that a bit with the Davis, Hollis, Jefferson, Boucher trio at times last year. I think Norm can fit that. I think if Malachi Flynn gets minutes um you know that's an easy way for him to pick up some easy assists and get get comfortable is just pushing the pace and if you don't have the ball you know go spot up um so i think that you can construct that i just think that there's uh you know you got to rethink what that second unit offense looks like without abaka yeah which i honestly i thought serge was fantastic when he played with the first unit especially as a fill-in for serge last season serge just straight up off the bench in that bench rotation wasn't as effective i didn't think um, in the Celtics series, oddly, he did have some good moments, but um, for the most part, I don't know if Serge off the bench specifically in that role was a smashing success. And oh, I, kinda... I just, I disagree, man. I, th- I think that was like the perfect role for him at this stage. Like the Ra- and maybe it was a fit thing, but the Raptors' second unit just like they needed that scoring so much because no one else could really score other than him and Norm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, my bigger concern with the Baca was like, I think quietly the defense slid yeah. a lot more than we talked about. Um, well, now so, uh, he's going to be guarding AD in the conference finals if the Clippers get there. So yeah. at, uh, at power forward. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's going to be tough, but listen, we, we, we love surgery. He's, he's great. 
Um, yeah, yeah I, I do think part of it is I, I completely agree with you. If, if you're going to need to change stylistically the way you play, and honestly, like I thought the bench last season, maybe their best moments were some of those moments where you know it was that identity of there was no surge in the lineup. Chris had to really, really come on strong, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in that sort of younger, you know, defense first, run the floor hard. Um, I think it have the to- glass a lot. Yeah, you know, force a lot of turnovers, make a lot of mistakes, but like bet yeah. that your brand of chaos is gonna, you know, be a net positive. I think there's there's room for that identity this year, and like mm-hmm. maybe Len doesn't fit it as well. And if Lowry or Van Bleed are running the second unit, you know, they're good at helping force turnovers, but they're gonna try to stabilize things a little bit more in the second unit. But right. like you look at some of the other guys who could be in there, like Bembry fits that. You know, and he could even you could put the ball in his hands a little bit as kind of a secondary playmaker there. Um, like I said, I think the young guys fit that. You know, Matt Thomas could maybe slide into the old CJ Miles role of like, look, man, we're going to ask you to run around like crazy, Yo. and no one's actually going to pass you the ball, but you're going to draw <laughs> two defenders, and then the rest of us who aren't as good at creating our own shot get to play four on three. Like, yeah, there's an element of that there, and then that's before like. You know, does O'Shea come on? Does Paul Watson come on? Does, mm-hmm. you know, does Stanley or, or McCaw give you anything this year? Like, there's a lot. I, I think you're going to see a lot of different guys get chances in those second units. And, and I think the, you know, the, the higher tempo, more chaotic brand is going to work for that second unit. It's the Raptors have always done a good job of finding identities that work for the second unit that maybe don't for the starters and, and blending those two together. So um, I think there's lots of room for that now. It's just a matter of, you know, how quickly can you implement that stuff when you're starting the season with fewer holdovers and you have like an eight minute training camp? Uh, yeah. But, you know, this year I am I am driving the Chris Boucher uh, bandwagon. So I'm just going to re- repeat this on every podcast. Uh, Boucher last year in 11 games where he played over 20 minutes, averaged 17 points per game, eight rebounds and uh I don't know, two blocks and take a steal. So, you know, I'm expecting that from Chris Boucher. This uh, is, uh, that, the, the trouble with that, though, is like, this is, this goes back to like the... Uh, Instagram might shut down, by the way. I don't know if yeah. there's going to be enough server space for that. Yeah, no, the, the issue with that stuff, and I get what you're saying, but this is like the issue of like, oh, well, when Norm shoots this well, the Raptors win this often. It's like, okay, Boucher put up those numbers, not because he got 20 minutes, he got 20 minutes in those games because he was playing well, right? Like the direction of causation is is different there. I will say though, and I've said this somewhere else and someone got mad at me for revealing the secret, but like Chris Boucher in terms of fantasy production per minute was like one of the best players, but like he didn't play enough for you to roster him. This year, if you give Chris Boucher 20 minutes a game, whew, on your fantasy bench, yep. not even being drafted in the top 200. Yep. That's a top waiver guy right there. Oh, well, there, there you go, man. Uh, yeah, especially you, you, if you play in a league where Instagram stories is a category. Oh, definitely. He's the number one pick then. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt Thomas, the other bandwagon that I'm also on. Um, the only question I'm going to ask you is, I'm going to go uh, <clears throat> Max Kellerman here. Uh, fate oh. of the universe on the line. The Martians have the death beam train on Earth. And you have, you have one guy to take this shot. I want Matt Thomas. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have Matt Thomas and Andre Godala. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want a Godala taking the three. That's for sure. But I mean, um, but that, actually, that's that's my question for Matt Thomas: is uh, fate of the universe on the line? Well, really, fate of your life on the line. Uh, the, the Martians are are here, as you know. Recently, um, the 
the Martians have been communicating with the uh, Israeli and uh, U.S. governments, apparently. Yeah, dropping those monoliths around and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you have to take... You have to... Someone on the Raptors has to make a three to save their life. Yeah, it's absolutely Matt Thomas if it's on the Raptors. I mean, he shot he shot 48% last year on probably less like per minute volume than I would have liked, but like he also that's not only you shot 48% on threes, that's you shot 48% on threes when every time you're on the floor everyone knows the team is trying to get you a three. Mm-hmm. Like those aren't easy threes and it's Thomas has some at only 6-4 and like as a minus defender, like it looks really he, short for 6-4, man. I, yeah, I, I could need that double check. I, I don't know for sure if he's four than six. Yeah. Anyway, I've talked about this a little bit this offseason where like, you know, JJ Reddick's able to expand that role because he's elite off ball mover and very, very quick. And Duncan Robinson is able to do what he did in the playoffs because he's six seven and can get that shot off a little better. Um, you know, whereas Brady Hessop is a comparison I always use where Hessop is maybe the best shooter in the world, but he's my size. Yeah. So that's why he's getting his MBA at Queens now. Um, yep. So he retired, right? Yeah. He yeah retired. He's yeah. literally getting his MBA at Queens. All right. He's just ha- he's having your career in, in reverse. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Thomas, Thomas definitely has a path to expand that role. Like I would like to see him as a regular part of the rotation. I think his spacing and his shooting is very valuable. And I think, I think he showed enough that like, you know, he can handle himself against second units defensively and, and he can be a secondary pick and roll operator and stuff. Uh, I'm excited for him, man. I, I am too. I, I think if he has another three 20 point games, he will end up on the old man and the three podcast. Um, this is a very niche joke that I'm peddling, but uh, it is definitely the number one podcast for white NBA players. Um, yeah. So th- this is the other thing is that uh, Matt Thomas. So there were, I think it was in Taylor Rooks's piece, uh, it was revealed that Kyle Lowry and Matt Thomas were the best golf duo in the bubble. Oh, come on. Obviously, man. There are five of America's top 100 courses within an hour drive of Tampa Bay. Uh, Thomas and Lowry are going to be like prolific by the end of this season. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I also watched the, uh, the open gym doc, which honestly the open gym doc on the bubble is fantastic. So many great moments. Um, I think in the second episode, not to spoil too much, but they randomly did a profile about Bobby Webster and they showed the draft room in 2013 where um, it, it, very clearly the Raptors are trying to get a pick to, tr- to draft Giannis. And I just thought it was really interesting that they included that specific. They were like on the phone with OKC and they're like, OKC's out. They want to draft Adams. They're yeah. trying to go to Minnesota, who I think took Shabazz Muhammad at 13. And anyway, I just thought editing wise, it's uh, very cool to, to, to have actual evidence of the Raptors trying to do what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, I, I also thought it was really funny of Open Gym, like, and they're very good at like sneaking in those fan service things. Like, oh yeah, yeah. like Come everyone on. already knows who Bobby Webster is. You don't need to take us back to 2013 to <laughs> no, introduce right? Bobby Webster. You're absolutely like Lenzicho is just including that because. Giannis is a free agent in 2021. Like, <laughs> especially because it just sets up a segment of uh, Bobby Webster uh, open his version of Big Face Coffee. Yeah, uh, that's, that's it. Four one six. Yeah, which uh, yeah. Um, I don't think we're supposed to talk about this much stuff until because the embargo. Look, but look, it's great. I'm just saying, go watch it. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm shout out to Sam James Coffee. Shout out yeah. to the Open Gym Crew. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, um, yeah, Matt Thomas and Kyle Lowry are golfing quite a bit in, in those yeah. scenes, and they have immaculate swings, I would say. Yeah. I am not a golf expert. But uh, Malachi Flynn, um, I mean, really the only, ch- the only question is, like, any chance he's in the rotation by season? 
Yeah, I think so, man. I think, uh, look. Is he taking McCaw's minutes? I think this is the main question everyone has. McCaw's not healthy yet, right? So you're saying there's an inside path from Malachi to get to this. Yeah, look, I just think when I when I drew out what the rotation could look like and I, and I did a bigger rotation just for illustrative purposes, that was the reaction a lot was like, oh, you have Malachi Flynn in there, like, LOL, McCaw's going to get those minutes. And he might to start. Um, and maybe it's better for Malachi Flynn to get shipped off to the G League bubble and play 40 minutes a game 12 times in a month, like whenever that happens. Like maybe that's the better path for him. But I think based on their optimism about him, based on the fact that he was like a top 10 college basketball player last year, based on that he has like kind of a mature game, um, I could see him stepping in and playing 10, 12 minutes uh, as like a third point guard who spends most of his time with one of Kyle or Fred, but you kind of get to learn on the fly. Um, You know, he's a really smooth pick and roll operator, which I think will, uh, you know, ingratiate him to his bigs. Uh, I don't think he's going to play 72 games. And again, it might be better for him developmentally to, to go to that G league bubble when it launches, if the Raptors are healthy, but um I think that he's going to be by the end of the year, one of the Raptors eight or nine best players. And mm. you know, Flynn's a guy I'm high on and we can't expect too much from rookies out of the gate. Like, like Fred barely played his first season. Yeah. Um, and Dolan didn't play a lot his first season and like point guards take some time. So don't be discouraged if he isn't, uh, but also don't be surprised if by, you know, coming out of that March break, you know, he's the third guard up in the rotation because he does have, he does have that kind of runway to being a productive piece. And I know they're really high on him. And apparently, look, there are 30 teams saying this about 15 players right now, but he looked really good in those off season workouts and in camp so far, apparently. So. Yep. Be well, excited. I'm, yeah. I'm excited too. Um, I think I've probably spoken to some draft experts and stuff like that. Like, I mean, the consensus is the same. He was one of the best point guards in college last year, one of the best pick and roll operators. When you watch the tape, it looks that way too. So I'm um, expecting to see that kind of translate. Obviously, a different role, different level, everything like that. But I have high hopes for Malachi as well. For Jalen, I think realistically, he's probably going to spend more time in the G League now that he's yeah. on a two-way deal. Um, my only question is, what do you think about Pat Matumbo in the G League, man? He's replacing uh, uh, Jama. Jama uh, is coming up to the, the, the Raptors bench. And Pat Matumbo is going down along with Brittany Donaldson. Yeah, and, and John Bennett, um, uh, and John, there you go. five as well. So um, I think it's exciting. You know, I think it's been pretty clear the Raptors value getting people those head coaching reps down there. Uh, it sounded for a bit that JAMA was going to go back for another year, but um, you know, maybe the loss of, of Nate Bjorkren and Chris Finch coming in, they wanted another. Um, they wanted to just make a change, and I don't know, maybe maybe Jam- like JAMA and, and Matumbo both have uh, young families, so like maybe that was part of the decision. Um, to shuffle people around. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, but I like Pat Matumbo. I think, first of all, he's an incredibly nice and interesting guy. Um, yep. I enjoy his paintings on Instagram. I've always enjoyed speaking to him. I think he brings a lot of the same um, positivity and spirit that Jamma and Jesse Mermis brought to the 905 that like, look, Jerry Stackhouse probably <laughs> had better seasons than Jamma or Jesse from a pure like, winning standpoint and making the most out of guys um so like he was maybe maybe had quote-unquote better coaching seasons than those guys but i think jamma and jesse and now matumbo those are the kind of guys who personality wise you need in the g league because like it is such a grind and these guys will need a boost at times and, and like you have to be you know you have to have 
that kind of consistency of spirit to get through that season. And like, I saw that even spending just like a week on the road with them, like in their locker room, on their bus, in their hotel, it's not an easy life. And if even JAMA seemed low energy at times, like you need, you need a lot to get through that. So um, I I think it'll be fun. You know, obviously we don't know anything about Pat Matumbo in, in terms of like, his philosophies as a head coach and stuff, but I think he's worked with nurse. I think he'll be an extension of him. I think it's a great opportunity for Brittany and John to continue to get experience, you know, because you go down there and you'll be higher up the assistant coach chain than you would be, um, you know, with the Raptors, you're, those are helpful people to have around, um, but they'll get their hands a little dirtier with the nine Oh five. And both of them have specialized in player development to this point. So right, uh, it right. should be good for the nine Oh five guys as well, whether that's Jalen Harris or, um, you know, Alizé in Utah and Henry Ellenson, or whether it's, you know, Paul Watson spending more time down there. I don't know if Paul Watson has anything left to do with the G league at this point, but um, I think it's great. I think I just, I know it's no secret to people that I, I appreciate the Raptors entire development philosophy and the way they, have leveraged the G league the last few years. And I think obviously this year is going to have some challenges, but if any team can make the most out of it, like short of, you know, them, San Antonio, Houston, those are kind of the, kind of the um, benchmarks, I guess is the, is the term. Yeah. I also just like it from a developmental standpoint. Um, You're getting, you're getting, you're giving Pat an entirely different experience as a coach to be in that head chair. We Nick nurse speaks all the time about how important it is to be a head coach. And, Wait, um, did Nick Nurse coach in the D League? Yeah, I mean, this uh, is the first I heard of it. Not a lot of people know, but he was in the UK coaching. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. him, Chris Finch, Nate Bjorkren. This is, uh, yeah, you know what it is. Nick's just making sure that every future NBA head coach has a D League story. Now, is it? <laughs> he's getting everyone's going to get a turn on the nine hundred five, so that when they get a head coach job, they can pull the. When I was in the D League, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it, it makes you more interesting, to be honest. It, quite, it, it makes you a lot more interesting as an assistant coach. But um, I, I'm happy for, for, for Pat and the other coaches to go down there and get some experience. Yeah. And check out his art on Instagram because it's super interesting. And I, I don't know yeah. what they cost, but I want to get one. Um, I've told this story before, but uh, there's a, one, of, one of his paintings is in Nick Nurse's office because Nick uh, uh, bid on it um, as part of the Serge Ibaka Charity Foundation. And he bid quite, quite a number on the, the painting. But honestly, nice. it's a... He's a good painter, man. Um, Paul Watson. We finally got to the part, the, the part of Paul Watson. Look, to be honest, I don't know how much I want to talk about Terrence Davis, Pat McCaw, Alex Len, Stanley Johnson, DeAndre Bembry. They're not that exciting to me. I think people are really hyped about Paul Watson at this point. Um, yeah, hang on. Let, let's just hit these guys quickly. McCaw, you know his game. Stanley Johnson, you know his game. Yeah. Bembry is a slightly bigger and slightly better McCaw. Um, Alex Len, we talked enough about in the Boucher part. Terrence Davis, I have no interest in discussing. Um, O'Shea and, and Paul Watson are really the guys. Like, I think Jalen Harris, like you said, is 905 bound. I think it would be a surprise if Ellenson, Watanabe, or Alize, uh cracked the roster and weren't 905 pieces. Now, those three as the core of your 905 team is really exciting. If you've yeah. watched any, like, all three of those guys have been like top 30. G League players the last couple of years. And I think like Jalen Harris has a game that is tailor made to putting up 15 Ooh. in the G League. Like he's just going to score so much because no guards down there can, all the guards down there can either only defend or only score. So if he, if he gets matched up with, you know, if he gets matched up with Christian Vital, yeah, he's going to have a tough time. If he gets matched up with another Jalen Harris, he's going to torch them. So, yeah. um, 
anyway, yeah. So Paul, Paul Watson and O'Shea are kind of the swing pieces, right? Like the guys who they did the G League last year. And we've seen Chris Boucher kind of go step by step. And we've seen Fred Van Bleed and Pascal Siakam and Norm Powell and DeLon Wright and even Malcolm Miller, although he never really got his NBA chance. This is kind of what you do, right? Your first one's the G League year. This is your maybe you're with the Raptors. Like in a normal year, this would maybe be the you're with the Raptors the whole year. But if the 905 are at home at the same time, you get sent down for five or six games, just making the the Gardner Expressway drive. Um from the way I understand it, what the G League is going to look like this year, calling guys up and down could be a little complicated, although they will be bubbled. So, or the plan is for them to be bubbled. So at least they'd be coming from a quarantine environment. Um, but obviously, logistically, that's challenging. So, um, you know, Watson as a two-way, like you get 50 games in the NBA this year instead of 45 days. Like he could just be the 16th guy. Yeah, um, And I think... Look, I think O'Shea showed you what he is last year. Um, Nick Nurse is talking a lot about his three-point shot coming along, which is obviously a big swing skill for him because right now he's a good transition player and a good defender and rebounder, but like he's almost exclusively a play finisher around the rim um, on offense. But he did show some flashes of the three-point shot. Like he hit five threes in a game late in the G League season. Um, I think he shot like 35, 36% over the last month of the G League season. Uh, he only has to be passable there to get second unit minutes. Yeah. Um, Watson's kind of in a different spot where Watson's biggest skill, Watson's most exciting skill is like kind of the hardest skill to find in these fringe guys. And it's an ability to attack. And yeah, there are a lot of guys who can get you buckets in kicking around the G League. Um, but they don't often have size and shooting and the potential to defend multiple spots. Now Watson could run into a little bit of, and this is what Alizé Johnson's run into is like, if you're kind of good at everything, that's great. But mm. what gets you to the show, right? Like what course, gets yeah. you to Nick nurse looks down the bench and he needs X, Y, or Z, you know, are you giving that? Or is there always going to be a guy who's a better shooter or a better defender or a better attacker, you know, that you check that you're the second best at all those things might not get you the call. Right. So that's what Watson has to worry about last year. He shot phenomenally on a huge volume of threes with the nine Oh five. If that shot is real at that percentage rate, or even a tick below that, you know, that's his ticket, right? Like you're, you're a three and D guy, but the most exciting thing about Watson is his ability to attack closeouts. If defenses do start to buy him as a shooter, um, because he has a good first step. He's very strong. Um, he protects the ball while going to the rim. He can get to the free throw line. A lot needs to click for, for that to happen at the NBA level versus the G league level. And like, he's got to be a better passer. Um, right now he only really has one counter move, attacking and it's a swing your elbow through and catch guy in the chin or the chest. Um, So there are, there are some refinement to make there, but if you look at this guy as like, he's big enough that you, he can defend a couple spots um, and be like, you know, maybe he only ends up being average to a little above average across those spots, but that's good enough for a second unit player. And then he can shoot from the corners and then he can attack closeouts. Like you just, you piece all these little things together and you start to see where he could contribute Um, I'm excited about him. I think a lot clicked for him last year. And I think, you know, going back early last year when things did start to click, I went back and watched some of his Westchester stuff. And it was really just like he wasn't a shooting threat. And that collapsed a lot of his other assets. Um, Because like, if you it's the macaw thing, right? Like, 
it doesn't matter if you're a good driver or passer if instead of closing out to you the defender just stops and then you're driving into them yeah like you need that threat to open up your attack game and i think that came along a lot last year um you know i i want to be clear that while i'm high on paul watson and while i've made a lot of you know half jokes half serious comments about watson on twitter over the last year or so like i do believe that he's an nba player don't you shouldn't have like 10 point a game playing every game expectations for Paul Watson. Mm-hmm. This is going to be basically his rookie NBA season. Cause he only played like a hundred minutes last year or something. And they were all garbage time. But I do think there is an NBA player there. Um, and I have been right on that sometimes. And sometimes they are Malcolm Miller and never get a chance for three years, but uh, yeah. you know, uh, so I don't know. I'm excited about him, man. I think, I think they liked a lot of what they saw from him in the bubble and with the nine Oh five. And I, and I think, his path to being a useful bench player is like pretty clear. And now it's just a matter of when he gets those windows of opportunity, does it click and do you do something with it and you're O'Shea and suddenly you're closing games or are you Malcolm and like the shots don't drop in the key moments. And then you're just a, you're just a garbage time guy for a couple of years. Um, you know, these things swing on really small samples. So, right, right. but yeah, reason for optimism about Paul Watson, I think, and O'Shea. Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, if, if O'Shea, I mean, this might be too big of a jump because Ronda ended up playing over a thousand minutes. Mm-hmm. But if O'Shea, yeah, I'm not penciling do, O'Shea in for a thousand, but yeah, but I mean, like, if he could functionally give you what Ronda did, but also knock down a three instead of what whatever Ronda was doing. Yeah, well, um, Ronda with a three is an all-star. <laughs> is... I mean. <laughs> Yeah, poor Rondé, man. I thought he deserved another contract. Like, come on, a lot of I mean, a non-guarantee with the Timberwolves. Like, what are the odds he doesn't make that roster? Like, yeah, I know, but like, he should have a guaranteed roster, man. Yeah, he should have a spot. I mean, like, yo, the Timberwolves. I mean, they should know better than anyone. He had his best game of the season against the Timberwolves. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and like, look, you know, if if O'Shea doesn't have that shot, maybe he's a guy. and, And like, maybe the Raptors have too many. Like, I think this is. You could be optimistic about a lot of guys that could get second unit minutes, but like none of these guys we've talked about um, are really sure things. Right. And like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a risk in having McCaw and Stanley Johnson and Bembry and O'Shea and even Paul Watson. I think Paul Watson is a more established shooter than, than those guys, but like there's a risk in having a lot of guys with the same weakness and, and saying, you know, if this clicks, then this, because like, it might be a few too many guys that you need to, you know, like play Ronde Hawes Jefferson at point guard kind of, or Stanley Johnson yeah, yeah. at point guard to like really make the most of it. But also like it's a 17 man roster. You only really need one or two of these guys to click and be useful. And then the rest of them are going to play 80, 90 minutes all year. Like it's yeah. not a, you don't need every one of these guys to be a success story. You just need one or two of them to have that breakthrough. And, and a lot of times like, yeah, with O'Shea or, or with Watson last year, that that's hinges on one swing skill or one really good small sample that keeps your foot in the door. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the bubble also helped because you're bringing O'Shea, you're bringing Paul Watson and they're around the team for every single day for a month. Yeah. Two months I mean, straight. O'Shea had that knee injury and, and required oh, that's right, surgery, that's right. so a little less for him, but, but I mean like the close contact, the coaches get an even closer in-person look at some of these guys. You get to see how they mesh with obviously the rest of the guys on the roster I think that helps. Uh, you've written about the fact that Paul Watson was training with Rico Hines, as he usually does um, this past offseason, uh, along with Pascal. You know, yeah, I mean, 
Paul Watson guarding KD occasionally, guarding whoever was coming through. Obviously, LA is a hot spot for NBA players. Yeah. It uh, it didn't sound like Paul Watson did a good job guarding KD based I mean, on Paul Watson's bro. scouting report of KD. So don't uh, don't think he don't fall into the Dwayne Casey of Josh Jackson is the new LeBron stopper to replace Stanley Johnson, uh, the LeBron stopper uh, to replace Bruce Brown, the LeBron stopper. Like don't no, fall into that trap. But he called Bruce Brown. Uh, he reminds him of Pascal Siakam. I was like, how? Like, in what way? Dwayne, like, you got to explain that way. Yeah. In what way did Bruce Brown remind you of Pascal Siakam? They both play basketball. That's that's, yeah. that's where it ends. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's exciting, man. I mean, the 15th man rep battle, we already kind of touched on it. I mean, you probably get this. I mean, like, are you anticipating most of these guys to go to the G League? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Ellenson is not two way. So like, there are a couple possibilities. Like the Raptors could convert Watson to a main roster spot, mm-hmm. but like there's with getting 50 games with a guy this year and, um, this, the two way salary being elevated and locked in this year, like there's not really a great incentive to do that. Okay. Um, you know, maybe you can get an extra year on the deal or something. Uh, but it's not, it's not really a huge, a huge thing. So the way I see it is like, O'Shea is trying to defend his roster spot from Ellenson, Utah, and Alizé. And -hmm. I think he has a pretty good inside track on it. Um, I think theoretically, Utah and Alizé are also competing for Paul Watson and Jalen Harris's two-way spots because they can both be converted to two ways. Ellenson isn't eligible. um, Brissett's not eligible. So, so. Brissett and Ellenson are kind of only in the main roster conversation and then Alizé and Utah could get into either conversation. Um, But short of Terrence Davis being waived whenever his situation plays out, like I think we kind of have a good idea. Like I think the 15 spots O'Shea's, I, they have the luxury tax breathing room to cut a Stanley or something like that. If they want to keep one of these younger guys. Um, But yeah, I'd say probabilistically Alizé, Utah and, Henry Ellenson are the core of your 905 team, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. And Jalen Harris on a two-way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yo, I mean, that's like, it's a good reason to watch the G League. Um, honestly, yeah, hopefully, man, watching hopefully some of the, head- the bubble is, has better broadcast than last year. Enough of this ESPN plus and Facebook stuff. Just yeah. Come on, man. Put it on league pass. Just paying, yeah, I was gonna say, no one's paying a stupid amount for a bad product. Give me the G League included with it, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, honestly, Henry, uh, he, he's very skilled. I, I you know, I, I've seen some of the, the Donald Five tape and stuff like that. He, the issue he is has that really you really a lot of skills. Him. Yeah, for sure, that is a huge issue. I don't know if that's going to ever change. Yeah, but uh, I mean, skill. But he's a dead. he's a walking twenty piece on like sixty to sixty five percent true shooting in the G League. Like, like for for a yeah. center, he can score in a lot of different ways. Um, now. Like, if he made the roster, I could certainly see the way you'd use him, right? Like, he would be that guy in the second unit that you're protecting like defensively Olenek. by running, uh, yeah, by running a really conservative drop back with him defensively. And then in the half court, you know, you just run a little bit more through him, um, not in really a surge way, because he's like, he's a pretty dynamic passer, too, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, you could run a lot, like if he found his way to minutes, but mm. you gotta protect him defensively because uh, basically you want him dropping back and hanging near the rim to get rebounds. Uh, you don't want him guarding in space, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and then Alize is, uh, as many people have pointed out, looks a lot like Jimmy Butler. 
Um, or Lamar Jackson, I've heard also. We yep, can also, uh, we can maybe just stop with this stuff because we're in the year 2020 and I got multiple replies of, oh, why is Bobby Webster wearing number 18 with Oh, that, come on, man. That one is just ridiculous, man. Yeah, like come we could just stop with this kind of stuff. Um, I really like Alizé Johnson. I like Utah too. Like this yeah. is like usually in these camp competitions, there are guys I like and guys I don't like. Like I didn't like Shamori Pons. I didn't like campaign. What a mistake that looks like. Now. <laughs> uh, campaign star of the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like all the guys they have in there this time. I like, I think, I, like I said, all the, all three of those guys were like top 30 G league players the last, the last year or two. So yeah. um, they're cool. Alize also like, that's the other thing is like, they're all fun to watch too in their own way. Like, like Ellenson is a really cool offensive player at the G league level he's bad defensively, but whatever. If you're watching the G league, like a guy who scores 20 in a fun way is cool. Yeah, yeah. Alizé dunks everything and is like a monstrous rebounder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then like Utah is just like, like he's got wing playmaking skills and he guards legitimately four positions like yep. really smoothly. He's, I mean, you gotta be, I, I think maybe you have to be a bit more of a like defensive or a tactical nerd to appreciate Utah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's cool. They're all cool players, which is that's yeah. all I ask for with the G League, man. Is like, give me guys <laughs> who are entertaining to watch or cool to write about. That's I, I, I'd like to think these are they signed these players for you, Blake, specifically. Yeah. I think somewhere like in the back of, of their minds, like enough of this Felder, Shamori Pond stuff. Like, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need G League James Harden. Give me guys that are cool and fun. Yeah, there you go. Well, you you got it this year, buddy. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, look, the Raptors. I think they're still going to be quite good. Um, I, I've seen there's the Vegas prediction, which was like 41 and a half wins. Yeah. Uh, and then there was, I saw the RPM projecting by ESPN and Kevin Pelton. I think they had them second in the conference still. Yeah. So, you know. The big a, thing is it's a, a lot range. of minutes continuity, right? Like, yeah. Like a ton of the Raptors minutes are back. Yeah. And, and I the think top, people... their, their four most important players are like their four, depending on how you felt about the centers and norm, somewhere between their three to five best seven players or, or five of their best seven are back. Right. Like that's yeah, absolutely. Without and, question. So. And, and yeah, I mean, you're looking at essentially the fifth and sixth best players from last season going, and you did replace at least one of them with a functional player. Yeah. In, in Aaron Baines. So I think Len's fine too, man. This is like. Len is. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think there'll be a JV high for Len? I, I hope not. I, 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 there's way, way more of a case of... No, I think it's going to be more there's like a hockeyfights.com hive for Len. <laughs> All right, it's cool. Like, everyone wants him to fill the surge role, and like the first time they play against Marquise Chris, it's going to be all eyes on Len. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just expect you to choke about today, or otherwise uh, it's a disappointment. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's still been a great roster. I think it's it's they're still going to make the playoffs for sure. Obviously, you know, we'll, we'll see with injuries. Obviously, there's already three COVID cases. On the team, we're not really sure um, if it's players or coaches. I've been kind of going through and trying to figure out, just having a list and scratching out people that I've seen and, you know, we've talked to or something like that uh, and try to reverse engineer this thing. But um, hopefully it's a successful season because it's way better for us um, job-wise if they are good. So, um, Blake, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, Anything you want to plug? Obviously, everything at The Athletic. Yeah, I mean, if you don't subscribe yet, and when you click one of my articles, a sale doesn't pop up, just hit me up. I always got some. Mm. This is this is the least cool 
plug anyone has ever been, but I do got those athletic discount codes and promo links. <laughs> so uh, I can hook you up. So you and Alex don't have to share an account anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's more on Alex than me. Okay. As soon as you joined the athletic, I made the athletic account. Yeah. All right. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a day. I don't know. I, I guess day one. Yeah. I mean, I was day one there. So. Well, th- yeah, there you go. So, yeah. So um, yeah, that stuff. Uh, I don't know. Check out my music podcast, I guess. Uh, yeah. Columbia house party. If you how like do music. You, how do you like this much music, man? I mean, like, the thing is, is like, we're covering like a long time span of music, right? Like we've done 60 episodes, but they span like 20 years. So that's only like three albums a year we liked. Um, and also like some of the albums aren't me albums, right? Like some of them are my co-hosts favorite albums. Some of them are right, like right. a guest comes on and wants to talk about an album. Like sure. like we did a broken social scene episode. And I don't like, I didn't say anything the whole episode. So at the end, the guest was like, do you have any opinions on this band? And I was like, not at all. I just sat back and listened. <laughs> uh so you know it's uh but i don't know they're fun to do man it's fun to dig in it's like i don't know it's it's like basically like let's remember some guys but for music and you just kind of dive in so no i I can't wait for you to uh to get nick nurse on the pod i think that's probably what it's all building up to nick has already gone on cue so i mean i mean you know it's not that much of a difference for me look two (laughs) members of our callus have been on the podcast well there you go you have the end on multiple levels came on to talk constantine's uh and nick their bassist came on to talk silver chair so uh nick come on talk about Thelonious monk talk about the time retell that story about how you went to see the purple rain tour which is actually a legitimately cool story man yeah but yeah you know come on come on come on black spot is music pod I will say I requested one member of the Raptors organization once and got declined. So I'm not optimistic about Nick wow. Nurse getting to come on, but we'll see. Unbelievable. We'll see. Oh, well, I was going to say expose them, but you know, it is. Nah. It's, not their, it's not their fault. But uh, Blake, thanks for coming on. You know, love you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Hope you stay well. Nice we're, to see you. We're never going to have a vacation again um, until no. at least after the Olympics, assuming Canada makes it. But honestly, yeah. even if they don't make it, we'll probably still be busy. Yeah. Buddy, so, we're not even going to be able to like – we're like what five months away from even being able to do like meet up in Christie Pitts Park for a coffee again. Oh yeah, uh, it's a disaster. Couple of months coming up. Yeah, at least there's ball. At least there's ball, man. Raptors, you better be good, all right? Because <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're if Alizé Johnson isn't G League Player of the Year, this whole pandemic's a bust. Uh, yeah. Yikes! All right, man. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, listeners, I'll be back uh, on Friday with another pod. And then, of course, Saturday, the Raptors actually have another game. So uh, look forward to uh, Lamella Ball slander. I don't know, man. Maybe we do a slander pod for his first preseason game. I doubt it. I don't need the clicks that bad. But I appreciate everyone for listening. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.